0: The University of Western Australia strives to support students from different backgrounds in their pursuit for academic excellence and beyond. This podcast series, supported by Mentor Ellison, explores a variety of unique student journeys. In this episode, we learn about the UWA Autism Mentoring Programme, which has been running as a service to students who are diagnosed to be on the autism spectrum. Since its inception two and a half years ago, student take up for the service has doubled in size. Sharing this conversation is Anna Jorgensen, student mentor, and Caitlin Quick, student mentee. Anna is a UWA postgrad researcher in clinical neuroscience, and Caitlin is a second year undergrad studying biological sciences. Here they are, explaining the project and the impact it has had on students.
1: My name is Caitlin. I'm in my second year at UWA and I'm studying neuroscience and Spanish and I've been
2: a part of the specialist mentoring program for almost two years. My name's Anna Jorgensen. I'm the coordinator of the specialist mentoring program at UWA, which is a mentoring program for uni students on the spectrum and I've been running it for about two and a half years now. So, it was originally a research project run by Autism CRC and Curtin University. So, it first got piloted over there. And they found really good results for the students on the spectrum. So they were showing better academic performance, higher retention, so they were staying in their courses for longer. And they were also less apprehensive about communicating to people on campus. So there were some really great outcomes from that study. And so UWA thought we better get one of these too. So um, it started up. Like I said, in 2018, and it's been running ever since then. And we've had some really good results in our program too. Similar things: better grades, sticking in uni, making friends, that kind of thing.
1: Autism is a very complex neurodevelopmental disability that a lot of people kind of have some level of understanding about. If you tell someone autism, they might have some, like something come up in their head like Sheldon Cooper, maybe, or Rain Man, or, or just that there are figures in in popular culture. Popular culture, that is, yes. As for what it is in reality, it's very, very varied. As one of my friends, Will, says, if you've met one person on the spectrum, you've met one person on the spectrum. We're all we're as diverse as neurotypical people are, and neurotypical means someone who doesn't have autism, just as a, as a note. Um, but it's basically a difference in the way your brain works and the way you perceive the world. One of the theories about it I quite like is the idea that it stems from a difference in perceiving the world. There's a, some interesting studies done that look at People with autism, even from very, very, very young ages, from three months, four months, five months, they pick up sensory information quicker than neurotypical people. They have... they Lights look brighter, sounds are louder. You're, you're, the way you perceive the world is just different in comparison to the mean. So that's part one. Sensory differences. Uh, sounds are louder, things are brighter, etc. Second one is difficulty in communication. So that can come from... A, a lot of autistic people are nonverbal or struggle with verbal communication. So they might communicate through augmented assistive communication, AACs, I think, or um, through sign language or through just struggling to speak it clearly, I guess, and might, might speak a bit slower. And it can also be problems with social communication. So autistic people can struggle to read facial expressions the way that neurotypical people would do. They can struggle to read changes in tone, in, in, in voice. Um, yes, and then the third one is, I think... uh, very restricted interests that's it thank you so autistic folks can get very very interested in a very specific thing um for example i could probably talk to someone about doctor who for about eight hours without stopping even if they fell asleep or died i'd probably still keep talking to them about doctor who it's an issue but um having said that there is an interesting way of looking at it because these are all you know deficits in so your, your interests are too restricted, your sensory system is too abnormal, your um, communication is too different and doesn't make sense. The first time it made sense to me, really made sense to me what autism was, when you're given an autism cri- uh, diagnostic criteria, they say, are you more literal than a normal person? And I'm thinking, I've never really heard of autism before, I think I'm a normal amount of literal, what's a more or less, I'm as literal as I usually am, I'm normal. I saw it uh, neurotypical diagnostic criteria framed. Where it was talking about neurotypical people have problems with interests because they can't get interested in things the way, autistic the way normal people, autistic people can. They can't like they can't focus on things the way we can. They struggle with communication because they have to. They they need like ba- basic, they need you know hi how are you how's the weather how's your family you can't just be like hello what's your personal theory on the Fermi paradox of why we have not yet you know seen intelligent life in the universe <laughs> <laughs> well. When it it comes to diagnosis, girls and women are often diagnosed much, much less than boys. It used to be the idea that autism was a male condition. There was old theories about it being a male brain problem. It's one of the reasons blue is often used to code autism, like certain autism charities will have blue, and one of the reasons for that was this is a thing that affects boys. You know, one one in five autistic people is girls. However, you might have heard something about autism rates rising. There's, it's often talked about in media. I did a project on it. I did a project on autism rates in year twelve, I think, of high school. And what I remember from my research there was, for white boys, I, I was looking at research in America, for white boys, the rates aren't actually climbing that much. They're climbing a little bit because diagnostic criteria is changing and broadening, and people are getting better at noticing it. Where the rates are really climbing is with girls and with people of color, because for Girls, often what happens is, you know, we're taught from a young age more about socialization and more about we're expected to, to play creatively and, and play with dolls, whereas boys are more taught to, you know, have a look at more mathematical things. It, and that is changing. And so girls often learn masking very, very early. And masking would be, you know, learning how to change your voice, change your expression, learning how to hide. I know I, um, I had an imaginary friend when I was a child because everyone else had an imaginary friend. And so I had, I made up someone so I could tell my parents that, you know, I had one. Or, and when kids would have imaginative play in school, I just didn't understand the point. Like, oh, I'm the mom, I'm the dad, I'm the dog. Well, you're not. You're a child in class. Why are you making this up? I could go read a book or, you know, something instead. And that's a thing that you see more with girls. They they pretend much quicker. And that's why girls are often diagnosed a lot later. Like I was diagnosed at the start of high school. Whereas boys are diagnosed earlier because you see the social problems and then they get more support earlier and then they learn the coping mechanisms earlier and then often can have really good outcomes. Whereas girls and women, they'll often be diagnosed in early adulthood and it, they're only diagnosed when they've reached a point where their, their coping skills they've managed to you know, scrape together aren't good enough and aren't enough to keep them where they are anymore.
2: I think hopefully... I think in my time doing a PhD in autism research, I like to think that the world has got better at recognising differences and being accepting. I think there's still a long way to go, definitely. But there's things that I've seen, you know, there's lots of things like the ABC program, Love on the Spectrum. You know, there's a lot more mainstream things out there now about people on the spectrum and that everything that comes out is, you know, there's bad betrayals. Like Caitlin has said, but there's also good things, and I think the good ones. I think the ABC programs are really good. I enjoy them. Um, So I think we're getting there, but there's still a lot of work to be done in this area, particularly you know at uni. At the moment, there are more students on the spectrum getting into university. So you're right, and the reason for that is because we're starting to recognise autism more, like Caitlin was saying. And we've got these amazing supports in place in primary and secondary school. So the kids are getting the support they need throughout their schooling to be able to make it to uni. And I always say to everyone, the students on the spectrum get to uni exactly the same as neurotypical students. They're just as bright, they're just as amazing as everyone else. But once they get to uni, all the support structures they had in place in high school and primary school disappear. And so you come to uni... And it's just you, a student on the spectrum, with no idea who to ask for help, what to do, who to tell people, like, who to tell about your diagnosis. And so you're left there by yourself and you've lost all those structures that you had when you are at high school. So that's really where the mentoring program comes in, I think.
1: I think that's a really, really good point, Anna. And one of the notes I have on that is the idea that for a lot of, a lot of students, the transition from high school to uni is very difficult. For, for, for neurotypical students, it's a big change and it's, it's very scary. But for autistic students and for, for myself, I have, th- through most of my school life, I was in some form of special education. All through, I had someone I could go to for support. I got extra support with organisation, extra support with, with everything. I also had, you know, m- my support teacher or, or like an occupational therapist emailing my school and saying, this is what you need to do so that Caitlin can learn better. This is how you need to change your classes so that she can get everything and understand it. And then when I changed to university, where f- for a lot of students... That for, for most students, that's a difficult transition. For autistic students, who a struggle with change from the get-go, and because the world is is a more chaotic place for us when it's louder and brighter and more intense, and b, who are used to having a little bit of support and a, or at least a little bit of understanding, and in my final year, I was having you know weekly appointments with the special education teacher at my high school. To suddenly not have any of that, it was kind of a, a quadruple change. You know. New place. I was living away from home. I didn't. All the everything had changed. Everything was different. I had to look after myself, and I, I didn't have the understanding of who I was, where I did in my really small high school. Everyone knew what autism was because I was there. All the teachers knew how to change things for me, and that just yeah, that all just kind of vanished instantly. I was doing a coding course, and I was in the the coding building, and there was a sign up that said are you a student on the spectrum? Come along to the specialist mentoring program. And I attempted a joke of like, oh, yes, you got us in the right place, the coding building. Yes, that 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 makes sense. And Anna was like, no, no, there's, you know, there's autistic students in all the faculties. It's not just computer coding. And I was like, ah, oh, you're one of the good ones then. Yeah. The first time I went along, it was, I, w- I originally went to the mentoring program thinking it would be similar to the special education stuff in high school, possibly. I could meet with someone once a week and get everything sorted out. I didn't expect the social element at all. Having that weekly meetings to help with structure and organization and when i can go i don't understand this this is why i don't understand it being able to meet with a honors psychology student who understands why i don't understand it and understands where my brain's getting lost has been brilliant but then being able to walk into the to the social program program and being you know i i went to all these small high schools and small and i was always in small schools and i was always the only autistic student and then suddenly i was in a room full of people who functioned like me and full of people who talked like me. And I, every single one of them liked Doctor Who for some reason. I feel like that's maybe a added trait that be, it should be in the DSM-6, likes Doctor Who on the spectrum. No, but it was amazing. And I was no longer, you know, all, all of this stuff that I had been taught about how I respond to things and how, and how I react to things Suddenly, I wasn't just trying to learn it, but still feeling like a bit, a bit like an alien. Suddenly, you, suddenly the neurotypical students were the aliens. Yeah, and we always
2: joke. Yes. In the social groups, I'm the odd one out. Yes. And they're the majority, so it's a nice change, isn't it?
1: Yes. And we have an ongoing joke that you know, if we can, we, if we can hide away enough vaccinations in our back pocket and you know poke <laughs> them in Anna, maybe we can turn her to be one of us eventually. You know, <laughs> misinformation. Misinformation. <laughs> or maybe like, is it what fluoride in the water? Maybe uh, we can get you to who drink knows? enough
2: chlorinated water or something and Mm. then you can come join the party. I think a, a lot of the students in our program have never met other people on the spectrum before and so the social group is the first place they actually get to talk to other people who have very similar lived experiences to them. So it's a great place not only to gain knowledge about, you know, I can't give advice about everything because I'm not on the spectrum. So there's things that the students can talk about with each other that they can't talk about with anyone else. Like I can be as helpful as I can try to be but I can't answer every question and sometimes, you know, the only place to get that information is other people who have lived through the same things as you and I think that our group is a really great place to do that and it also means that they're making connections at uni that they might not have made if the program wasn't there because a lot of the students have trouble, you know, just saying hi to people in class and getting to know people on campus. So once they've come to the social group and got to know people, then they have people who they can contact, who are on campus, they can meet with, they can talk about uni with, that kind of thing. Thanks to Caitlin and some of the other um, students in the program, we were able to adapt very quickly when COVID started kicking off. So... Um, we moved from having in-person social groups to having an online platform. So the students themselves preferred Discord, which I'd never used, and so it was a big learning curve for me. Boomers. <laughs> Absolute boomers. I'm joking. <laughs> Not that old. <laughs> uh, so we moved on to Discord, and so we've got this platform now where all the students are on it and they can all chat with each other. They, we've got different channels, so there's things about autism management, study help just general tat- chat that we can have. And Caitlin's really good. She's always posting random questions for people to answer and we got them engaged. So we were able to keep it going through COVID, but it was definitely a really difficult time for the students in our program because the little structure there was for uni just totally disappeared. Um, so it was really, really hard to keep students engaged during yeah. COVID,
1: yeah. However, the funny thing is what you said about structure, Anna also shared a really interesting article on the, on the Discord group about... How for some autistic people, the the COVID lockdowns actually made life a bit easier at times because suddenly, rather than having to go from here to there, you you could set up your day and it could be a bit more structured. Whereas before it wasn't. So, I think the article was saying there 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 were some Australians, uh, autistic Australians, who were going, "I don't want to come out of lockdown. I (laughs) I I can bear this. Yeah, (laughs) I can have my meetings on Zoom. I can then go, you know, have a break. I can." And so, and for me, it was my best ever semester of results when I was in one place and not, and not moving because just the stress of everything, which I like. I think it's important for me to still, you know, I still always try to push myself out of my comfort zone and keep my, you know, circle of ability growing wider. But it was really, really nice to just have a semester where I, I wasn't stressed. I wasn't constantly doing things that were difficult. I wasn't constantly in classes that overwhelmed me. And instead I was just at home and doing the exams at home. And,
2: yeah, and I got three high distinctions which I've never done before and will probably (laughs) never do again. But yes, yeah. The perspective our program takes is probably more of a social um, view of disability rather than the medical view. So we're viewing um, rather than saying this person's unhealthy, they have these deficits. We're saying this person's brain is wired a little bit differently and the environment isn't meeting their needs. So how can the environment change so that their difficulties are alleviated and they can show their strengths. So it's definitely a different perspective to um, some, other, as some other perspectives of autism that have been criticised in the past. So interventions where you're trying to sort of get rid of the autistic traits in the person. So that's more of a medical perspective, whereas I think a lot of interventions now are the more social perspective. I'm not sure what you think, Caitlin. I, I absolutely agree. I think for myself, I feel that
1: there is a place for both. For, for, a medic, for some level of a medical perspective and some level of a... I think the term neurodiversity is one that is really... kind of puts the social perspective into light. Mm-hmm. There's the idea that... The, the old, more old-fashioned idea that autism is a deficit, is a, is a disease, is, you know, you look at what, what causes autism. Maybe it's the parents being too old. Maybe it's what, what have the parents or what has gone wrong with your genes to cause this problem to happen whereas the neurodiversity model is the idea that autism and other such uh, developmental disabilities or learning disabilities like ADHD, dyslexia, so on, are just a natural difference in the human population and that possibly they've always been an, a part of the the difference in the human population. For me, when I was diagnosed, it actually led my family, especially my father, into looking at himself and looking at his own traits, and he, and he through... Try, through my family trying to work out what was going on with me, he found out he has dyslexia. And he found out, he read, he, found, he read this amazing book called The Gift of Dyslexia, which is where he was looking at, it's not just trouble with reading and writing. People with dyslexia and also people with autism, I think have a, a lot of these similar traits, can often be more visual thinkers and can often be more flexible thi- Well, maybe not for autism <laughs> for the flexibility of thought, but can have all, all of these strengths. And so, yeah, and, and, the, and the other example is, oh, there's this really good movie, I've forgotten the name. <laughs> there's a, I will look up the name. And there's a scene in it that really kind of portrayed it for me, the idea between the medical model, this person is a, has a deficit, versus the social model, that this person's society just is a different culture almost to them. There were two characters, a person, uh, an autistic character and a neurotypical character, and the autistic character was ordering food, and he said, can I get my peas separated from my carrots, please? And the neurotypical character said, oh, don't be difficult, and then said, can I please get a decaf Americano with a touch of, like, uh, steamed extra hot oat milk on the side? And it was, that that, that one scene really helped me understand that the things that I struggle with, they're... The things that autistic people struggle struggle with are seen with, as neuroses, and the things that we're good at are seen as abnormal. You know, oh, you you focus too much on something. Oh, you're too passionate about something. Versus, oh, you don't focus enough on socialisation. You're you're too bad at this. Whereas, if it was flipped, if society was full of autistic people and neurotypical people were the minority, it would be the other way around. You know, I, I believe possibly, I would still say it's not something I'm necessarily open as open about in other areas of my life. I am. I'm holding down two jobs at the moment, and both of my employers know that I'm on the spectrum. But when it comes to class and work with peers, sometimes I mention it, sometimes I don't, just because at some point in the future there will be, I hope, just a basic understanding of what what it means to be autistic, of, oh, this person might just struggle to communicate, they might take things more literal, they might get overwhelmed by things you don't understand, but they're also still a really good student. But at the moment there isn't that understanding, and... When I'm open about being on the spectrum, there is still that I can have some very interesting conversations with people very quickly where I'd rather just do teamwork with them. So for now, I'm fairly closed about it, but maybe in the future, I'll start talking about it more.
2: We started the program. It was eight students the first semester I ran it, and now we're up to 23 this semester. So it's growing and growing and growing, which is amazing. Obviously, more people are hearing about the program, I think, which is why we're getting bigger. And then there's also the element that more students are getting the opportunity to come to uni. Unfortunately, what the research shows is that while there's more students getting into uni, we're not seeing the same increase at the end of the degrees. So they're getting in, but then we're losing them. And there's a, you know there's something, obviously something there that we need to do to ensure that the people who are getting in are reaching their potential at the end and managing to get jobs and achieve their goals and that kind of thing. So hopefully that's what the mentoring program is helping students with at the moment. Um, But just in the wider university setting, there are a lot of teachers or lecturers and tutors at uni who do have a good understanding of autism and neurodiversity but there's also a lot who could probably learn a bit more about it, I think, would be safe to say. I think I've heard stories from a lot of students in our program who've had difficulties with lecturers, you know, things like, why can't you hand the assignment in on the due date that all the other students are handing it in? Why can't you sit the exam in the same room as all the other neurotypical students in the fluorescent lights and all the tapping and, you know, so there's definitely space for the educators to learn more about it because it does have such a big impact on people's university experience and it does impact their academics. So it's something we need to acknowledge and understand so that the students make it through and are able to lead successful lives because they definitely have the potential to. A lot of them are smarter than me, that's for sure.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so Anna was talking about the retention rate for autistic students at uni, and I had a quick Google this morning. I'm not sure how accurate it is, but I saw something about the stats for working-aged autistic adults in Australian society. I think it's about a 30% unemployment rate or a 31% unemployment rate, which is a lot, lot lower than the national average for unemployment, I think. I know, maybe... And having programs like this could really, really help to change that, I I hope, because we are just as capable of working. There is some research that autistic employees can actually have better... Efficiency? Efficiency, (laughs) yes, can actually have, in in specific areas, can be better employees than their neurotypical counterparts. And as such... Getting autistic students through university could have a very positive impact on the economy and on society as a whole, because we have a lot to give. So many of the people in the program are scarily intelligent and scarily passionate about things. And there is so much there that can be given. But because of the struggles we face and because of, at least for me, I still do face difficulty with getting stuff done and and doing uni right, I guess. And I know that other students struggle with it as well. And the more of us that we can get through and get full degrees and, and... Really get into the workforce. The, the better our lives are, as well, the better our standard of living is. The best thing about the specialist mentoring group has been my, the friends I've met, the the people I've met. Absolutely, it's um yeah, just every single person I've met there has has been amazing. And also the kinds of advice you can get from people who who have the same struggles as you. Sometimes when I could talk to neurotypical people about things, I'm like, these are my problems, and they're like, why are they your problems? You know, what's the I don't
2: understand. And so I explain that,
1: but then I've already lost them.
2: It has been so rewarding to run the program for the last couple of years. Obviously, it's really rewarding to see our students graduate. So we've had a few who have finished their undergrad. Some of them, it took them a long time and they stuck with it, you know, five, six years to get through their undergrad. They stuck with it. They graduated. And it's amazing to watch them graduate and get jobs in the areas that they want to get jobs. So, that's really, really rewarding to watch. And then the other part of the program that I've really enjoyed to watch grow over the last few years is the social aspect. So, you know, a lot of the students came in, didn't know a lot of people on campus, and now they're hanging out outside of the group and chatting about things, you know, in their spare time. So, that's been really rewarding to watch. And as the group has grown and gotten to know each other more, they're also developing a bit of a voice on campus. So I think they're able to advocate for themselves a lot more now than before the group existed. So, you know, Caitlin is presented to staff about what a sensory overload is and trained staff about how to react to sensory overloads. We just got a grant to set up a sensory room in the library on campus, so we're going to be doing that in the next few months, which everyone in the programme is really excited for. Um, so things like that, seeing them use their voice on campus, is I think is my favourite part of what's come out of the
0: programme. Thank you for listening. This podcast series is sponsored by leading law firm Minter Ellison and produced by the Centre for Stories. I'm Rita Sagar.